0: Hello and welcome everybody, this is Susie Pomerantz, founder of the Leading Coaches Center and
1: you are here with us today on the Leading Coaches Community Mastermind Call. I'm really excited that you were able to join us for today in particular because we have a celebrity in our midst, Laura Berman Fortgang is with us and I will introduce her in a few minutes but first I want to make a few little announcements and then allow you guys to check in and say hello. Hello. So first of all, the thing to know is that if you wish to mute your line during the call, it's star six to mute, and then if you want to talk and interact with us, you're going to have to star six to unmute. Uh, the call is being recorded, as you've just heard, and because of that, I have turned off the entry and exit chime. So if people are dialing in, normally I'll welcome you to the call right when I hear the ping, but I've turned off the chime, so you'll have to announce yourself and let us know you're here. Um, and uh when the call is recorded, you'll be able to find it later today or tomorrow in the Leaders Clubhouse under the Mastermind link. We'll post it there. And a place where you can go now during all the- to interact with us and um, and just sort of check in is on the Leading Coaches Center Facebook page. So if you're at your computer and have Facebook open, you just go to Leading Coaches Center. We have a page there, and you'll see Laura's picture and Um, We'll be posting as she mentions different things. I'll try and capture some notes there And you guys can post questions or comments there as well Um, and so just to have everybody check in briefly just to say hello if you wish if you don't wish to speak you don't have to Um, but I thought it'd be nice if we go around and say not only your name and location But since the topic of today is really looking at career reinvention, it would be great if you could share one career issue that you see your clients facing these days. Um, And if you don't see any career issues in your clients, you can share one of your own that you might be having, or you can share um, a career issue that you see in friends, family, community, whatever. So so here's how we're going to do the check-in today. Your name, your geography, where you're located, and one career issue that you see clients or others facing these days. Um, And then I'll introduce Laura, and we'll rock on from there. So who would like to check in first?
2: Hi, this is Pat Atkinson, and I'm from Pleasant Valley, New York. And the issue that I see, especially with my female clients, is that um, they are now so incredibly uber-busy that if they want to reinvent themselves, there's no time and space to go inside to really understand what that has to be about. And getting them to slow down enough to listen to who they are and what they really want out of their careers is my issue. Awesome.
1: Thank you, Pat, and welcome. Thank you. Who's next to check in? Name, geography, and one career issue that you see clients or others facing these days.
3: This is Jim Morehead from Washington, D.C. And what I'm hearing is that people are so nervous about their own situations, that it tends to uh, freeze them up uh, in terms of thinking about other possibilities, opportunities, transitions.
0: Yeah. Awesome.
4: Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Who's next? Hi, this What's is Joan Pierce from Salt Lake City area. Um, I'm hearing a couple of things. One of them involves um, just getting momentum. Uh, some of my clients are having trouble getting momentum for some of their goals going forward. They know they want to make changes. They've got big plans. But they're kind of overwhelmed and just having a tough time getting momentum.
0: Great. Thank you. I also <laughs> would like to check in. We're just doing
1: a quick check-in with your name. Your
4: location and one career issue that you see clients or others facing these days. Well, this is Steve uh, out, up in Syracuse, New York. Good, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. They're um, frustrated with where they're at, yet for some reason they don't want to create, get into action to make, to make the change, to to make make it happen.
0: Mm. Yeah, thank you. We're hearing some kind of consistent themes, right, like frustration, time, overwhelm, nervousness. Um, Yeah, this is great stuff. Thank you. Who else would like to check in? Hi, this is Siobhan Murphy from New York. Hi, Siobhan. Hi, Siobhan.
5: Nice to be with you. Love to learn from uh, Susie and Laura. Uh, What I'm seeing is uh, in one particular person I'm
0: coaching (laughs) around for is um,
1: a little bit of uh, hopelessness about the economy. They've been unemployed for a while. So um, we're really working a lot on the belief in it's possible and um, staying in action.
0: Super. Thank you. Anyone else want
1: to check in? And just a reminder that it's star six to mute and star six to also unmute. So if you've already muted yourself and want to check in, star six
0: to unmute yourself so we can hear you. Okay, so
1: on that note, I'm going to assume that everybody who wanted to check in has, and feel free to check in and post things also on our Facebook page during the call, um, but I want to go ahead and introduce Laura. I'm really excited, super excited, Laura, that you're with us today. So we have an actual celebrity with us, and for those of you who have been to CAM, the Conversation Among Masters, anytime time over the last six years, she probably needs no introduction for you guys, um, but I want to make sure that everybody else on the call knows who Laura is. She is one of the pioneers of our field. So she has over 20 years of experience supporting people to find meaning and purpose and satisfaction in their lives. And she does that in a lot of different ways. Um, and this is one of the things that I love about Laura is her versatility and how effective she is in all of these different ways of doing that. So she does it through her writing. She's a five-time best-selling author. She does it through appearances on television. She's been on Oprah and all of the, morning, the national morning talk shows. Um, She does it as a corporate speaker. She does it as a mom to her kids in day-to-day life. She does it as an actress, and you can check out her alter ego, which I've also posted on our Facebook page, Life Coach Lurleen, Um, and Laura can speak a little bit more about what Life Coach Lurleen is up to, but she's hilarious, Um, and she also serves that purpose as an interfaith minister, too. And Um, I'm just so honored that you're with us today, Laura, to help us with strategies and tools that we can use with our clients in the particularly emotional issue, it sounds like, of career reinvention. So on that note, welcome.
5: Thank you very much. What a great champion you are. I appreciate all the kind words and thanks to all of you who are here. Um, I feel like I have to get the alter ego explanation out of the way. <laughs> um, it, makes me, it makes me chuckle. But part of, you know, I, I, doing something for 20 years, and I know many of you that are on this call have, have probably been coaching for many years too. Um, you know, any senior coach will have to admit at some point that it can get a little boring sometimes. You know, I don't think I'm alone in that. And so I've constantly looked for, you know, new ways to do what I do, whether it be changing to groups or just switching up how I work with people or whatever um but about 18 months ago i in t- in teaching people about reinventing and and picking up something from your past that may need to come into today uh, the past i gave up ago gave up 20 years ago was i i hadn't done any theater and i didn't miss it i didn't think i missed it Till my daughter started following in my footsteps. And I was like, you know, in order to not be Mama Rose and be pushing any agenda I might have left on my child, I need to start back in uh, with performing and see how I feel. So I did a musical called The Great American Trailer Park Musical, uh, where I played a terrific, salty broad, and I could not let go of the character once the show was over. I just thought she was so funny. Then I ended up creating a life coach character named Life Coach Lorraine who um teaches our coaching uh tools in a very I hope entertaining way. So I was just telling Susie when we when I got on the call today that I had just done my first corporate gig as Lorelean yesterday. And this has been uh you know, either some people are you're nuts, why are you throwing away your twenty year reputation, making fun of yourself and the other half thinks um onto something for me it's just incredibly amusing it brings sunshine to my day my daughter does it with me and um i just decided laughing was way more fun than taking myself too seriously so that that get the life coach Lurleen out of the way but if you want to go find her on facebook it's l u r l e n e um but yeah for since 911 i've been dealing with career reinvention with clients solely um for many years in coaching, I didn't need what we call a niche because coaching was new enough that that was a niche in itself. But as you well know, um, it seems like everybody and their mother's a the coach and they can train in two hours and whatever the case may be. So how do we keep uh, reinventing ourselves? And also right now there are people who need to reinvent. I mean, you all talked about people having that need, not wanting to face that need. And um, since nine eleven. I've been dealing with career reinvention as my specialty, and I love talking about it. So uh, if I were to say something directly to the kind of situations you all put forth right now, I've definitely dealt with scenarios just like this. Um, You know, if I could just give an overview of what's going on now, it, it is reflected in the things that you said. You know people are happy to have a job if they have one. Yes, they may be miserable at it, but they're almost too scared to give it up to move on to the next thing um Is this economic situation real? Yes, I mean, yes, there are limits, yes, there are things that are closing down and don't exist anymore. but one thing that I've come to trust, and especially in the last three years more than ever, that if someone's in enough pain to pick up the phone and want to work with a coach, they're has to be something waiting for them on the other side of that. I mean, I, I, I want to say the biggest thing that's happened with my coaching the last three years in this recession um, has been trusting the process. I've trusted the process more going into it not knowing what the end result is going to be. But if someone was moved to make a change, then they're meant to be here and we're going to figure out and get them to the other side. And along the way, I have those people – feeling hopeless about the economy, people, you know, so busy trying to just keep up the life that they have that their best of intentions are being thwarted to look at a new life. Um, people so nervous about their situation, you know, how am I going to make $400,000 a year, you know, being a gardener, you know, that's not going to work. I need my job. Um, uh, you know, getting the momentum going, and then finally someone not taking any action. I've, these have all been present. Um, and. I, I don't know I don't know if I'm not articulating anything yet. That's some great clarity here, but I do want to restate that trusting the process and us not getting hooked by our clients' fears and all these things that are very real for them, and we can't say that they're not. How do we stay? In a space where we live in the land of possibility without being naive, so I'm actually I actually want to put that out to all of you as a discussion point. You know how do we keep living in that possibility space and not and not be naive about what's going on um in people's very real lives? You know we don't want to be responsible for pushing them off the cliff, and there was no net to catch them so tell me a little bit about where what you think about that fine of being in possibility and not being naive.
2: Um, This is Pat from New York, and um, the analogy that I've, I've found tends to work with more clients than not is that I say to them, you've made the step of coming to me. It's like you want to go canoeing and you want to go down a different river. You've made the step. You've dragged the canoe. You're here. We're paddling. We've talked about where you want to go. We put you in the right direction. And while you have to paddle, there's also an undercurrent that you have to understand is kind of the ebb and flow of life and the universe. And that is also a force here. So in the times when you are not maybe making as much progress as you would like, you have to keep your own paddling up. But please understand that there's also a process and an undercurrent That is part of this as well. And you have to, but sometimes you do have to put down those paddles for a few minutes, rest, relax, rejuvenate, which is my message to them, and then continue on understanding that even in those times, you're being pulled down a trajectory.
1: Right. I think there's a role of, sorry, this is Susie. I think there's a role of empathy also to be played in sort of how how do we live in the land of possibility without being naive? Because I think we have to really let them be in the truth of their fears and the emotional impact of that and have empathy for what's so for them. I mean, it really is very real. And, you know, not try to move them out of that too quickly, but have them really, really embrace it and feel understood and heard. And then from that point kind of start to open up like, well, you know, what would it look like if that changed and what might be, you know the beginning, opening to create something different for yourself in there. So I, I think the I think empathy is
0: probably the place that I default to. Cool. Thanks. Anybody else?
5: Well, I you know I internalize it when I'm listening to yes and, you know, not yes but but yes and you know um, that. When you're dealing with possibility versus probability, there's a distinction there. you know it's always possible it may not always be probable it may not always you know you may come up against obstacles or turns in the road, but holding out the possibility means you know you have to see it for yourself and not lose sight of what you're working towards um, you know I'm working with uh handful of people right now. And um, I'd say a couple of them are very resistant. You know, they came and I thought that I put them through all the tests of being an ideal client and ready to go. And yet very resistant to the process because people tend to be more comfortable with what they know than what they don't know. Pretty simple. Um, But one of them, really needed to deal with a lot of other things in their life before the career thing could really be the priority and I'm sure you've seen this in your practice too that you know people come with one particular agenda but if there's too much in the way of that agenda we need to deal with what's in the way and I always find it interesting how impatient people get because they're like you know I came for this and you know why aren't we doing this yet and yet This one particular person, and this reflects several other clients like it, it's only through the process of clearing some of the mental clutter and actual physical clutter that this person was able to get to the point where they can even articulate what they really want. Um, So, like I said early on, it's really stepping into the process and trusting the process. And you don't know what landmines you're going to step on or what turns are going to show up, but just... Staying true to course, and um, and as I say that, I go. I wonder if you're thinking, well, what course? You know, what course are you talking about? And um, I've always looked at things from a bit of an arc of progress with a client. Like there's the you know, a lot of people come in at the point where they they want a goal at the top of the continuum. You know, something rather big, but their life isn't really set up for that yet. You know, they their schedule's out of control or they're too busy or they don't have enough support systems. So they they tend to want to like, you know, I don't want to deal with that. I want to deal with changing careers. It's like it will nip you in the bud if you don't take care of the stuff that's in front of it. So the continuum goes, you know, clearing away anything that's in the way, the big goal at the top, and then coming down the other side is continuous action towards it and not giving up. Now, I find it, interesting this happens this happened many times you know someone's coming in i I was working with an executive woman this is for the person who's really busy um and then executive woman and um she's got five kids she holds down a high level executive job she has a spouse and she's not happy because she didn't get a promotion and she really wants to be noticed for this promotion but the truth is She really wants to have her own business, but she kind of feels like she has to have this position in order to free herself up to be able to, you know, the things that line up in the way of the thing that someone really wants. Um, And when I questioned that, you know, here's this thing you tell me you really want, so why do you really care if you got this promotion or not? You want out. Um, That imploded the next thing, and the next thing was a marriage that was not working because if she's going to consider stepping out on her own, and no longer having that corporate salary, um, it wasn't so much that her husband didn't make a certain amount of money, but it was the kind of relationship that they had and the kind of support she could expect and kind of where things had broken down in their own relationship. So she actually ended up taking a break from the coaching piece to deal with what the true matter is at hand. And I, I'm and i sure I'm not the only one who sees that. I mean, do you see sometimes people come in for a career thing and it's really a life thing?
0: Absolutely.
5: Amen. <laughs> right. So, in reinvention, and some of your people that are not getting momentum or not taking action, it's lo- It. I encourage you to dig to other parts of their life because um, a lot of uh, sometimes the busyness is an avoidance as well. <laughs> yeah. Um. Right. You know, yeah. I can't make time. I can't make time. We make time for what really matters to us. And when it comes to, um, you know, let's talk about the person who feels hopeless. They have all the time in the world, but it's painful to face rejection again or it's painful to think that I'm going to make another effort and nothing's going to come of it. Um, So they even start losing momentum because they don't want to deal with the pain of the reality. Um, I don't know. I'm just going to leave it at that for a moment. Does anyone have anything they want to say or observe or comment upon what we've talked about so far? Have I said anything yet that is helpful to your particular scenarios that you brought up, or do you want to ask a more specific question? I guess uh, having them
2: understand that when we see issues that are in front and have to be dealt with, getting them to understand that focusing on those as opposed to that goal is really the beginning. In fact, sometimes that's the hardest part of it.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That's the, you know, trying to deflect them, you know, especially if in some, in, somewhere in the back of their head they're thinking, well, you know, in two, three months this should be, you know, I should be over this. You know, like like right. therapy. People come into therapy thinking six visits and we'll be fine which is totally unrealistic. <laughs> Nobody ever tells them that.
5: Right. But yeah. you know, you do you do, a, you do wear a therapist hat here. You do. To some um I, you do. No, I agree. I agree. Um you know, I think that we point out issues that very much can look like therapy and yet we process them differently. Absolutely. You know, so I you know, I I hear what you're saying and people's impatience with the process, sometimes of why oh, we're not doing what I hired you for, but I um, I set that conditioning up front. I, I I don't I don't I'm sorry, I'm very tongue tied today. I have a book called Now What: Ninety Days to New Life Direction, which came out of 9/11 um, and me saying, you know what, my travel disappeared, I lost all these speaking gigs because of what was going on over 9/11, and I could only commit to people for 90 days for sure. I couldn't promise that they would be open ended agreements. So I started working with people only in 90-day segments. And what happened in 90 days is that in 45 days, they'd figure out what they want And in 45 days more, we'd kind of catch a plan. And so I work, um, you know, I train people to use the Now What system with their clients. And because I wrote it myself, I don't go chapter to chapter with a client. But my point being that I set it up as an expectation right from the beginning. Okay, you're committing to 90 days with me. Sometimes that stretches to four months because you might take an extra week here or there to work on something. And I'll tell you that in the beginning, it it feels like drudgery because we have to back up a little bit and make sure we're really headed towards the right thing. We're going to put your uh, situation through a few litmus tests and a few you know scenarios that will, will help us see more clearly. And so I set it up that there's going to be hiccups, there's going to be distractions, but please trust me that the whole thing adds up to something. And even if it's the last week before that ninety days is over, I I just have the experience of they get the clarity. And in fact I always make that that's another expectation that I set clearly too. If you're gonna work with me in this ninety day period, remember it's ninety days to a new direction, it's not ninety days to landing a job.
0: Yeah.
5: (laughs) Or it's not ninety days to being in your own business and making money. Okay. So I always under under promise. But Every, I mean, I mean, I can't think of the last time someone didn't get clarity in ninety days unless they quit in the middle because they admitted they were an alcoholic and needed to deal with it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: So that's what I, when I say trusting the process, the process that I use anyway, I just I go in almost sometimes holding my breath sometimes and go like, okay, just trust the process um, because truly I can't control the process and neither can you. We're standing there as a loving witness of um, somebody holding them as a container of wholeness. And guiding them to hear themselves in such a way that they gain the courage with our help to take the action, and truly, if you look at even the history of coaching as far as I'm concerned, I look at it as a twenty year history, and why, in this time, do people need coaches and what's happened, and you know we've gone through so much press of like you know why I can talk to my mother, why do I need to talk to you um what I've seen is as people jump from company to company quicker and quicker, you know, there's no more 15 years at a job or even 10 sometimes. We've lost our mentors. We've lost the people who lifelong know us and watch out for us. We're not we don't necessarily live in close proximity to family in our culture. So we've lost those long-standing people that used to help us hear ourselves, and now we use a coach, you know. It I look at it in the most basic thing is that we help people hear themselves by asking them questions that that pull it out of them, and I truly never believe someone when they say they don't know what they want to do. I don't know what I want to do. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, no, yes, you do. No, you're just too afraid to do it, and they'll stop in their tracks and be like, what? <laughs> what are you saying? And I'm saying if you really told the truth right now, you do have an idea, but it seems impossible. It seems not doable. That you have a million reasons why it can't happen, and so I want that truth. And I may have to hold that truth on the shelf for a while, but people will eventually get there. I just uh, saw a woman at a bar mitzvah two two weekends ago who had been a client of mine, and she knew a family member of mine. And it took her, after the 90-day discovery, it took her five years to move into the new thing. But it becomes so undeniably clear and so undeniably true to who you are that you can't not do it no matter how long it takes. So some of your people who may not be having momentum or action right now, you've planted seeds. And sometimes the hardest part of our job is what I call ego reduction therapy of like, Mm -hmm. you know, you may not see it in your time with this client, but trusting that the seeds have been planted and that things are happening and that's ego reduction therapy because you don't get to stand there and go, "I did it. I helped." You know, you have to go, "Okay, I launch you. Bye." I didn't well, And went...
1: sometimes, you know, Laura,
5: that makes me think of how
1: when when you actually plant seeds, you have to cover them over with a lot of dirt and wait a long time for them to yield flowers or whatever you planted. So, oftentimes what happens after clients get that clarity is, you know, a lot of stuff gets covered over with dirt. Okay. <laughs>
5: <laughs> It takes a while for it to sprout sometimes. It does. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I love that. The ego reduction therapy because it's trusting that the process is working even after you're done with them, right? Like that it's still working and they're still going to go on and do their thing that they need to do. It's on their journey, but you may not ever see it. You may not
0: know.
5: That's right. That's right. And, um, in fact, I call all coach training ego reduction therapy.
0: Mm
5: -hmm. But yes, the the person who said, you know, in a way, we, we have to deal with some therapy issues along the way. I truly believe that every career crisis is really just a spiritual crisis. It's the people getting off track from who they really are. So I never use a resume when I work with people on career stuff. I have a process for looking at their life story. And through the life story, I find the places where... Some of the ways that they've made decisions took root and it's sometimes not even that they're in you know they're not looking at the right kind of work or whatever it's more that they are making decisions that are based on things that have nothing to do with them They're decisions that got rooted in how they chose their college major or pleasing a parent or in a cultural uh, thing that they had to stick to or a fear um, I I teach at Krapallo once a year, which is a yoga retreat center up in Stockbridge, Massachusetts. And this last year in March I had oh I had such great people up to like just juicy stuff. And one gentleman was so precious really. I mean, he was angry. He was angry and confused and angry that, you know, the last two career directions he took weren't it. You know, he um he took two Paths. the second one was as a teacher i can't remember the first one um because in in the end when we were looking at his motivation and not so much his resume we found that his motivations were about he took jobs to have security so he thought um with teaching you know for example you, know, you get tenured and you get a pension and you know etc and he just wanted something that had long term Stability and security. And he ended up doing this twice, really finding he was not a match to either one of these things. And if he would tell the truth about what he loves most, it's nature and I think he was a biology major and, um, you know, science and being, but being in nature most of all. And the reason why he never went into those areas of interest were, you know, he was looking for something stable. But it was through that discovery and realizing what his motivation was and how his motivation was just a reaction to his childhood, it really had nothing to do with who he truly was today, he left there not angry and not confused. He totally understood what he needed to do next and that he had new motivation for what made a good fit for him. Um, In fact, I I call this particular uh, technique finding your driving motivator and this might be something to think about for yourself or some of the people that you're working with right now. The driving motivator through someone's story is often how they ended up with the career that they're unhappy with right now. Um, The driving motivator is usually a reaction to something from childhood. It's usually a coping mechanism, and it's often a coping mechanism that has worked extremely well for you but the problem is it no longer works for you now, but you don't know why things aren't working because you don't recognize that it was about a driving motivator all the way along. It's like someone changed the operating system on you, and you're still trying to drive the whole thing on an old operating system, and we know how slow that goes, right? Mm-hmm. So. For example, let me see if I can get an example of a driving motivator. Driving motivators usually sound like vows, like "I will never be like my mother," or "I will never make the same mistakes my father did," or like this guy. I he had a you know very unstable childhood, so I'm going to get a good job where I can count on uh, you know having stability for life. We make these vows that become survival mechanisms, and like I said, they they really work. But we tend to hold on to them too long, and when you can change or recognize that motivation, then you have other choices. Let me let me tell you this story. This story illustrates it really well. I had a woman I was working with once, top salesperson, starting to lose her mojo a little bit. Like she didn't even recognize herself. Like who am I? I'm I'm just not performing at my top. And so she hires me a long time back to help with performance, and as we were working. We found her driving motivator. When she was 17, she was on her way to college with a basketball scholarship. discovered she was pregnant, and she decided to keep the baby, and she didn't go to college, and she didn't play basketball. And she made a vow, and her vow was, I will not be a teenage statistic. So she proved, usually it's something we would need to prove, that, you know, through having her kid and getting back to school at some point and becoming top in her field, that she was not a teenage statistic. Now that driving motivator was still running her, but it wasn't working anymore because it wasn't it wasn't needed. It wasn't her. So upon discovering that she was it was like, Whoa, eye opener, oh my gosh, I don't need to prove anything anymore. What's gonna be my motivation moving forward? And it's that critical to our story and to the decisions we make around work to understand what's been motivating us. So uh, any thoughts, reactions, or anything to that? You know, Laura, this is
3: Jim Morehead. I do um, some crisis management work, and I think what you're describing is so much part of my experience, which is that uh, we find our clients really facing the wall from a short distance. And part of our job is to pull them back and give them the broader picture that you were talking about and particularly to uh, help tune them in as you were talking about that uh, crises don't obey boundaries. Mm -hmm. And so what they may be particularly focused on may be connected and tied to something else. And so I think that process of uh, pulling the camera back for them so they can uh, see themselves in a broader landscape and in a broader context. And as you were saying, too, in a broader history of where they've been and what they've done and what their motivations are, those are the kind of catalysts to bring about change.
5: Exactly. It's like You know, swatting at symptoms versus truly finding the source of something. And often that motivation is the source. But, yeah, it is about pulling them away from the wall. I love how you put that. Thank you. Someone else wanted to share something?
0: What do you think your driving motivators are? Old one or or current one? Security. Thank you. Anybody else?
5: Flexibility. Anyone? Flexibility. Does anyone recall their vow from uh, youth?
1: I remember when, probably the first vow I ever made as a child was that um, I, I will never do that to my kids in reference to something
0: that my parents had done to me. Mm-hmm. I, I will never do that to others, you know. Mhm.
5: Yeah, there are the positive ones and there are the negative ones, you know. Uh, mine was, I will never get married and I will never have kids. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Doesn't look like that one
5: stuck. <laughs> No, but I had to have a nervous breakdown in my 20s in order to get to the other side of that. I made a very strong vow. It did not fit my identity, self-identifying being to have found someone that I wanted to spend my life with. It was like, uh, no, but yes, but no, but yes. That's in one of my books. You can read that whole story <laughs> somewhere else. That was a little book on meaning. It's in there. Um, yeah, but that's how powerful that can be. And uh, that made me say another word, self-identifying or identity. Um, Some of you, especially, you know, I will make a gross generalization, especially with male clients, but women have it too. The whole identity piece is huge to people dragging their feet about making a change. They just can't see themselves as the next thing or they are so identified with the past identity like lawyer. You know, I went to Harvard and I, uh, you know, I in this is firm and whatever. And I, yes, I hate it. But, you know, what will people think of me if I don't do this? Um, I, you know, all the way on the other side are people who will say, oh, but I'm just a mom. What else could I do? You know, that's an identity crisis, too. Um, so often it's it's identity, not being able to even see yourself. Um, you know, I had someone I was working with who worked in corporate settings, and um, he couldn't even imagine all the things that really fit what he wanted to do next really made for being in business for himself. And he's like, wow, I mean, that was just never even discussed in our family. We didn't know anyone who would do such a thing. That was like not a lifestyle that you would take. Um, that's how strong some of these identity pieces can be. Is anyone seeing anything like that, bumping into identity?
4: Um, uh, This is Joni. I'll just comment on that. Um, One of the other, just in myself, I've seen that. One of the other projects I'm working on is I'm launching an organic skincare line. And I, too, had a 20-year history at the executive level. And just a few days ago, I was in Long Beach, and I was standing there kind of doing the, I was having an identity crisis because I was standing there at this booth thinking, what in the world am I doing to my career here, you know, um, here I am sell, selling skin creams, and somehow it helped me feel a little bit better that the guys next to me that were selling candles were former hedge fund managers. So I was just laughing, but I was kind of <laughs> going through that whole yeah, going through that whole process, thinking and trying to talk myself off the fence, saying it's okay to make these changes, and no, this doesn't mean you're trashing your career. You're trying things, you're being entrepreneurial. But I completely get this because I
5: just went through it this week. Yeah, and I shared with you all at the at the top of the call. Can I really be a performer again without ruining my 20-year reputation? You know, it's like, yeah, who cares? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can. I don't care what you think. (laughs)
0: So,
5: but identity is huge. I find it one of the top three blocks to people gaining clarity around career. Laura,
2: I think it's become more huge. This is Pat from New York. I think it's become more huge because of all the instability around them. You know, at, at some point in time we, uh, after 9-11, many people lost so much of what they thought they were about, mm-hmm. and we realized that we aren't, you know, like impenetrable. And, and so many people, I remember talking to someone who, um, one, of, one of my clients who eventually, he realized as the towers were coming down he wouldn't have a job in six months. And he was with an IT firm and blah, 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 blah. But he had come from the Soviet Union. And he realized so much more than we do here in this country about how the political landscape will change the economy. And he knew. And he immediately started applying at colleges to teach and do different things because he knew. And he was right, unfortunately. So I think with all the other instability, identity has really come to the fore even more.
5: But I agree with you. You make a great point. And it's also, I think, the, the spiritual challenge of all this, um, you know, is people really identifying themselves completely differently. It's no longer, you know, if you're going to identify yourself by your career or your job or your financial state or whatever, you know, we have a lot of people in crisis. Um, we're being forced, really, to reinvent and to get truer to ourselves and count on ourselves. Um, but this has been going on for a long time. I mean, when I published my first book in 1998, I said we're undergoing a career revolution where, you know, there's no company loyalty. There's You don't even know if your CEO is crooked or not. You know, you have to really be the own your own filter for the decisions in your life. And, and that's why um, – I, when I train coaches, it's also a lot about intuition because that's what our clients are struggling with—is not knowing how to follow their own instincts. Because we've always looked to the pillars of our life that's been held up by corporate life or religious life or government life. You know, we've always looked to these pillars in how we've been raised. You know, at least since after World War II, to look at these pillars that tell us, you know, and how we measure our life and how we make decisions in our life. And we're one by one, those pillars are being proven to not be trustworthy. And trust is the biggest issue in companies today. And part of why so many people are going into business for themselves is, you know, I'm going to rely on me. I can trust me. Right. And and yet I think as coaches, part of our job is to help people trust themselves um, because all the structures that they compared their lives to are, are not – the stable columns holding up everybody's life as they once were. Does that reflect what you're saying?
0: Yes.
2: I I heard something yesterday. I I sometimes listen to some of these TV ministers to see what they're saying and kind of like do the litmus test, do the water, you know, check the waters out there, like you were saying on the spiritual end. And um, the other day I heard Joyce Myers, who's one of the most prominent female ministers on tv and and really around the world and she was saying i love her <laughs> that right now the the whole encouragement piece is bigger than she's ever seen it in her 25 years and that people need encouragement they need the strength like you said to rely on themselves and and their inner thoughts but like i said to you in the beginning my challenge is just to get them sitting down long enough and understanding that this isn't all going to happen in 10 minutes that they've really got to search their soul a little bit and not be afraid to do that and i have to encourage them to not be afraid of whatever comes up
5: i agree i mean truly we are being asked to ask our clients to deal with some very scary situations um and You know, when we put them through a process and, you know, we might come up with the ideal thing and then somebody is like, you know, well, I can't afford to not make X, Y, Z amount of money and start the ideal thing. I think it's important to also talk about kind of the midterm solution, and this might be appropriate for some of the scenarios all of you brought out, is that every time we lose a job or we self-select to leave a job, it's an opportunity to correct, just like the stock market does, right? So we get to correct. So um, you know, I, I was working with a woman who worked in hedge fund kind of things, and, you know, she made half a million or more a year, and they'd set up their lifestyle for that. And, um, you know, she lost her job, and all she wanted to do was teach yoga. You know, it was really going to, you know, it was very far from reality to be making the same kind of money teaching yoga <laughs> at this point, since yeah. she was even still a student. You know, not able to go out as an expert and, you know, find some multimillion-dollar product to create out of it. So she really suffered over that, like, I am loving this, I am loving this, but I'm draining my bank account as I love this, and, you know, I'm crazy, and what am I going to do? And, you know, it was clear that she did not want to go back to the type of place that she worked before. She did end up mm-hmm. going back into some kind of financial services work, but under many more conditions – that were of her making, like more flexibility as to when she could get into work or leave work and time to keep up her yoga, et cetera. So I do see people, you know, they may not move to the ideal dream thing, it's too pie in the sky, but they move to something that includes it. And when you can include that thing, the happiness factor is going up. Mm-hmm.
0: Good. Any other, any other thoughts from anyone else?
5: Cool. Susie, anything you're hearing that you think can translate into me saying something more?
0: Um, I wanted to actually go back to something you were saying earlier. Um,
1: and I've been trying to capture notes on Facebook so well. let me go find it. You were saying, oh, it was identity is one of the big blocks
5: um, mm-hmm.
1: to clarity. You said it's one of the three. What were the other two?
5: Sure. Um, The three blocks to clarity as I approach them in the Now What program is um, being more familiar with what you hate than what you want. Two is the whole identity piece. And three are self-imposed limits. So what I mean by the first one is when someone's really miserable, they're spending most of their time complaining and fuming and, you know, being upset. And that leaves very little room to know what you want. So, in fact, it's the name of the first chapter. is what you hate gives name to what you want. So simply just listing everything that you can't stand and saying, well, if you can't stand your boss, there's something you want. Well, I want someone who respects me. Great. So we turn everything into something that you do want, and the energy changes right away. You know, from all these complaints, you just told me you want a boss that respects you, you want more flexibility, you want more autonomy. And, you know, great, well, where does that get me? Well, it gets you off of I hate, I hate, I hate, I hate, and it gets you into I want, which is a much more positive energy, which I find starts breaking the blocks to being clear, just energetically then second is looking at the identity piece which we talked a little bit about but what i would add to that is i see people's careers as eggs or see them you know how they describe themselves as an egg an egg whether it's a quail or a dinosaur egg they're all basically the same shape they kind of look alike inside right so the shell is everything that can be taken away the money the prestige the position the trappings and that can all be taken away but what's inside is what is transferable and malleable. So an egg is an egg until you crack it open and then it can be scrambled, deviled, you know, ranchero, fried, over easy, right? There's dozens of ways that you can do it. And so the person has no flexibility when they're just looking at themselves as the egg, the lawyer, the mom, the writer, whatever. But if we open that up and look for what are all the pieces and what is the golden center, which is the sense of purpose and your gift – Um, then that becomes something that can be used in many different eggs. You know, we can put other eggshells around that. But when we're only identifying ourselves by the thing we do or that we have been doing, it's very hard to gain clarity. And the third one was about self-imposed limits. I mean, people have rules that they just don't see as negotiable at all, um, which I always find very amusing. Um, You know, like I can't have a career that size and be a parent or – Um, you know, I can never do that, or I can't leave my job at 530. Why? Is it written in any manual anywhere? You know, no, I can Why not? So just investigating people's limits that they put on themselves. I have uh, someone that I'm working with right now uh, was very uh, curious about leaving the law and becoming a landscape architect But they scratched it right off the list because black and white, no, takes seven years, need to have an apprenticeship. There are not a lot of jobs in that right now. Nope. Nope. Okay, so there's the eggshell. Let's open up that eggshell. What does a landscape architect do? They have an aesthetic for space. They're an artist. They create environments. The list goes on. All those things were something that could be done in some other way. But her, the limits, the self limits in that case were just like, well, it's this, you know, it's black and white. It, it is or it isn't. Yeah. That's a limit in itself. So um, those are the three blocks to clarity. Does that make sense for the quick explanation? Yeah. Those are great. So everything I'm talking about today is in the book, Now What, 90 Days to a New Life Direction.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you. Um, you. It sounds like you've your process around a more of approach than,
1: you know, some of the more traditional career coaching approaches are more linear, more logical, more um, left brain.
5: Oh, really I can't thank you for saying that. I, yes, that's exactly right, and that's why in the in the live training that I do, we spend a whole day on intuition because it's about totally non-linear picking up on, you know, not that you're a psychic and you can tell people, oh, you're meant to do this with your life, but I mean more in terms of um, letting these things grow out of organic truths instead of trying to still fit the conventional models of, you know, what your resume, if you look at a, the reason why I don't ask for a resume is exactly what you're talking about. The resume is left brain. It's a logical, chronological um, progression of how you built your work life. And your life story is going to allow me to see many more aspects of how you think and decide things and where you really need to be headed, including everything that you have on your resume. But most people get stuck as to what's next because they rely on the resume. You know, based on this, what could I possibly do? And that's what's happened in our world today is that, the you know, trying to build a linear, logical career is no longer possible. It's about understanding how things are malleable and how you can creatively create your next step because there is no more very clear corporate ladder, let's say, or um, predictions about how you're going to progress. So the world of work that got creative out of the 1950s just doesn't exist at the same level anymore yeah and I
1: often um with clients will ask them to go look at all the people at the level of leadership that they aspire to and actually do some informational interviews informally just to find out what was their career path, just to kind of break them out of that assumption that there is only one right path and that they're not on it somehow, like somehow they've missed the boat and they can't get there from here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then really, just to have them open their eyes as to wait a minute, if all these you know ten people that I admire who've gotten there have done it in ten different ways then maybe there's another way you know maybe i i could either do one of those ways if that resonates for me or i could carve my own path and and still get there in my own way and that's the often the breakthrough i think that leads to action right like oh it it actually is possible and maybe i didn't think it was possible but who said it wasn't possible right like why did i start believing that
5: right so can, can i take a few minutes to tell people about um my training coming up in october
1: Perfect. I was
5: just going to ask you to do that. So perfect timing, yes. Thank you. Um, October 26th and 27th in New Jersey, near where I live, but exactly 15 minutes from the Newark Airport. Um, I'm doing a live training on this Now What system that I've been talking about today. Um, Two days live so we can work on the intuition stuff, and then eight weeks of teleclass. It's worth 24.5 CEUs for those of you uh, minding your P's and Q's. And, um, I have a special offer that Susie is going to put up a link for where I can still sneak a few of you in at the early bird price. I, um, I can fit four more people and I'm going to make this a very short offer because I need to make it or say we're doing something else with those four slots, um, so let's see. I know most people will be listening to this by tape, but I'm going to give the people who are listening now 24 hours. So, end of business day, East Coast time, tomorrow, Friday, the what day is tomorrow? The 14th of September, uh, 5 p.m. Eastern. I can honor the early bird, the lowest early bird price that you'll see on there. And if anyone's listening to it by tape and you miss that, you can just call us and see if we still have room but um i do this once a year i have done it for almost a decade and for me that is a really long time cuz i i make up programs constantly and i'm like done with them within 18 months 2 years and i'm like okay that's it that's it that's it but this one i have stuck with so long because it 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 truly works and i've been humbled by it cuz i wrote the book uh post 9/11 and have been training coaches on it ever since and I wrote it out of my computer in 90 days with four beta testing groups and I delivered this book so quickly and I did test it out and I had been using my own shooting from the hip style for years but I never put it down into like okay I'm the coach is not here as you read the book so do this 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 and this so I put it out there in the world knowing it worked but not knowing to what extent it worked. So over the last decade to get literally hundreds of reports from the coaches who use it and from clients I've worked with or people who've read the book and to hear that it truly, truly works has been just like a humbling experience and part of what's kept me going with it for so long. And I'm amazed that people need it even more and more now than they did when I came up with it. So I hope some of you will join me in October for a kick ass time, and I'm not even going to bother to um tell you the link out because you'll send it out right, Susie?
1: It's already posted on the Facebook page, the leading coaches center Facebook page, and I will include it um and on the leaders' clubhouse when I post the recording too um and actually, you know what? I can go ahead and send an email out to everybody about it as well, just to make sure people take advantage of the short turnaround time It's very so short term.
5: Because I actually closed registration last week, but I'm like, okay, I'll put, squeeze a few more people in. So thank, thank you, thank you,
1: thank you for doing that for Leading Coaches Center. And I'm gonna, um, I want to honor everybody's time, so I want to just take a quick check-in and see if anybody has any final thoughts or comments. And then Laura, I'll ask you for final thoughts before we wrap for the day. So does anyone have anything they need to say or share or ask, Laura, before we go?
4: This, this is Steve. Um, I signed up a week or so ago, and uh, looking forward to meeting you finally, Laura. And I hope it's Super. true that you're
5: as
4: you're as tall as they say you are in person.
5: <laughs> I'm probably shorter. <laughs> I'll set your expectations low. <laughs> well, you'll be able
4: to pick me out. I'm six foot five.
5: Great. Well, we'll make sure we have, leave extra knee room for you. <laughs> I look forward to it, Steve.
0: Oh,
2: I do Any did other final thoughts? Uh Laura, um you said the uh, the eight weeks would be like teleconference. Is that a particular day or evening or how does yeah that on work? that
5: on that link that um Susie will send you, there's uh you know all the registration forms and everything are there and you can see the actual times. I think it's Mondays one PM Eastern and I will be doing the teleclasses myself okay. if, um with maybe an occasional substitute. But, yeah, I'm very attached to, um, you know, really knowing each person who does this training so that if I'm saying you're authorized to use it, I at least know people, you know, I know that I've touched everybody who's using it. Um, So, yes, I mean, all the information is there. If you have any questions, just email me, LBF, my initials, at intercoach.com.
1: Are you
0: okay with me posting that on Facebook, or would you rather I not?
5: No, no, that's fine.
0: That's fine. Okay. okay. Great. Great. Well, I am just delighted that you were able to be with us today,
1: Laura, and love these uh, approaches and sort of these intuitive strategies for working with folks on their careers and really um. um so happy that you were able to be here and share with us today, and thank you to everyone who joined us today. There are notes on the Facebook page, and once I get the recording posted, I'll send that out um, with a link so you can get all access to all, this, all these goodies, and I hope you will either sign up for Laura's session in October or spread the word, share the link with folks that you know that would be perfect to do it but maybe weren't here to hear this call. So um, if you're thinking that this would be good for somebody, rock on, send it to them. And thank you, everybody. And next, leading coaches um, mastermind call is going to be in October. Let me just look it up real quick. October sixteenth at twelve thirty Eastern. I have Carl Bryan talking about business systems um, from a very entrepreneurial left brain side of thinking. So it's very different from this call, but also great value. And I hope we'll see you there. Thank you, everybody. Thank
5: you so much, everybody. Thanks, Susie. So nice to be here with you. Thanks.
0: Hi, Laura. You did. I did.